Hello and welcome to Achievement Oriented, the Ringer's video game podcast. My name is Ben Lindbergh. I'm a writer for TheRinger.com. And on the other line, on a brief break from binge mode, it's ah. Jason Concepcion. Hey, Jason. Hey, how are you? Good. We've got a busy podcast planned today. Later yeah. in this episode, we're going to talk to the developer of Sail Away, which is like a no man's ocean sort of sailing simulator that models the entire earth it's a shared world he promises by the way yes <laughs> yeah even though you you might never run across another boat by chance but we've we've heard that story before <laughs> all right and uh before we get to the developer of sailway richard canole we are going to talk some esports so not too long ago we had maddie myers on the show to talk esports she's a writer for compete today we're talking to her colleague at compete Pete, Eric Van Allen. Hey, Eric. Hey, y'all. Hey. We've been monitoring the news and announcements from E3, but not necessarily from an esports specific angle. Has there been anything we should know about? Any esports related news or announcements from this week that are worth talking about? I mean, the thing with esports at E3 is that this year, especially, it was really clear that like, a lot of people were using esports as like that sort of marketing term yeah, to, yeah, for, for lack yeah. of a better word. Like the Xbox conference was the one that a lot of people pointed to with the shoutcaster who was up there for, I think it was the Darwin project. And mm-hmm. they had this really cool trailer and this really cool setup. And then all of a sudden this guy is up there yelling and screaming, Oh my God, this guy's going in for the kill. Can he make it? Oh my God. <laughs> and it's it's just this moment of stop trying to force this to happen. Uh, you know, it, it really shows that you don't understand how esports works if you try to do that sort of thing. Not authentic, as everyone in esports says. Yeah, and and so yeah. the surprise has been, and I was actually talking to Maddie earlier today about this. How is Nintendo the one that is getting esports right at E3? Out of all <laughs> the people there, Nintendo is getting it right. You know, the company that ignored Smash for years and and didn't care about esports in the slightest. They held a Splatoon Invitational and a Pokken Invitational and an Arms Invitational, and all three of them were spectacular. They were well produced. Yeah. They had tons of competition. The commentary was really good. They're the only ones who have really been doing a good job of esports at E3. So, you know, in line with this year, 2017, Nintendo is the one that's doing esports <laughs> right at E3. The arms, yeah. the arms one was kind of notable for being the first time that I can remember when a developer beat a player at the game in a tournament. You know, I don't yeah. think that's ever happened before. I guess it just came out. So yeah, but that, that's it's still, I, I can't think of another time that it's, that it's happened. It, it, yeah, it's true. True. It just came out, but still it, it was, it was, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. What do you think the potential for communities around those games is Eric? I mean, Pokken has had a following for a while. I think, I I might be wrong. I know they have a tournament at CEO this weekend and they usually have other tournaments at at other places as well. And that scene has kind of been steadily growing and they're going to see a good boost from switch. Uh, Same with Splatoon. Uh, Those guys are actually, it's incredible to talk to the people that were trying to make competitive Splatoon happen for a long time because it was on the Wii U, which it's hard enough to get eight Wii U's together in the same room. And then mm-hmm. the way they handled their tournaments, because there's no spectator mode, they would just hook all of them up to capture devices and loop it all into one computer that handled all the streams. So they were lugging around all these capture devices and PCs and Wii U's to any tournament that they could find and set up at. 
And so now that they have the tools to do the things that they want to do with Splatoon 2, I think you're going to see that community rise up a little bit. And as far as ARMS, uh, that's anybody's guess. But a lot of fighting game people seem to be into it, seem to like the idea. Any Nintendo game is going to be naturally competitive just because it's a Nintendo game and people love to play those and break them down and figure things out. So I wouldn't be surprised to see for at least a year or so those communities get some real traction. Mm-hmm. So I've been wanting to have you on for a few weeks as all the news has been coming out about franchising in Overwatch and League of Legends and the high price tags and buy-ins for incredible, those leagues for, for franchises. Price tags. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so what do you think of that? It's it's $10 million for League of Legends, right? And then there was the rumored $20 million figure for Overwatch. I don't know what the, the specifics are or what is known exactly, but can you describe the, the structure of those leagues as we know them and the financial commitment and and whether you think it's <laughs> it's excessive or, or priced accurately or fairly well we'll start with league because that's the easier mm-hmm. one to look at right. they've they kind of got out ahead of it which was the smarter thing to do in my opinion because they they came out and they said okay we are franchising we are only franchising in north america and they're going from a system that was 10 teams with a relegation system where the the minor league could play into the major league or and the major league could drop out of the minor league if you were not good Mm -hmm. that's moving to a solid 10 team system and then each of those 10 teams will have uh, a minor league basically a farm team in in the challenger series where they can train up players and and kind of test out talent and that sort of thing and the the 10 million flat there i think with league how long it's been going and how effective it's been it's always topping twitch viewership tons of companies want to get involved with it koki sports is involved with it and a bunch of other companies love riot so i think a 10 million buy-in there makes sense and they've also said it's it's an initial buy-in of i think five million and then the rest gets paid out over a few years so -hmm. they're making it really easy for people to apply and say here's our case here's what we can give you and and they're looking at who they want in the league and what sort of things they want out of it. Overwatch is a bit stranger because you don't have that built-in scene like League and you don't have the sort of established six seasons or whatever that League has. And Overwatch just kind of comes out of the gate and says, yeah, uh, 20 million. I know it's the rumored price right now, but yeah, Mm -hmm. it's, it's rumored for the time being. But even asking i think 10 million for an overwatch spot is insane when that hasn't been proven yet and it's not established in the same way that league is and so obviously all that stuff is behind the curtain and blizzard's not being very open about it and i think that's causing a lot of unrest where from a spectator perspective it seems like this is getting pushed before we know if it's going to stick for more than a year or two Okay, well, I wanted to ask you about this, the 20 million number, because I was talking about it with a friend who's um, very interested in Overwatch esports, particularly mm-hmm. the Korean teams, because they're the best. Um, oh, yeah. And it just seems to me like 20 million. First of all, I mean, if you go on, this is a rough way, this is a rough metric, but I mean, if you go on Twitch and you look at the most popular games that are being streamed during the day, League is consistently number one or number two. Mm-hmm. And then Overwatch will be somewhere in the second tier, you know, number 10 or 9. Not not an unpopular game, but certainly not on the level of League. And then, you know, it's very popular in Asia. It's kind of not as popular in North America, although growing. And it just seems like 20 million, it's either 
either they know something that would completely change like what we think about esports franchising and and the business model or they're fucking crazy i just don't understand this number the biggest appeal of all of this from league to overwatch to even scenes that are developing right now like injustice and the marvel community and things like that is that it's the ability to get in on the ground floor and secure right. a guaranteed spot in a growing industry i i mean if you could go back in time and invest in team solo mid or cloud nine or something like right. that years ago right. it would be huge so i understand why they want a heavy buy-in but the same issue is you're you're not dealing with a basketball or a football you're dealing right. with software and software comes and goes and it it can be fickle as as much as the community can be fickle about what games they want to be playing and what games are popular right now i mean quake starcraft brood war all games that were huge at the time but you don't see much about them anymore nowadays so mm -hmm. and what do you think about from a broadcast perspective how overwatch has been presented so far what are the challenges of an objective based multiplayer shooter and presenting that in an, a coherent way and mm. kind of covering all the angles and and making sure that you're showing the most important action how do you think they've handled that so far and what could be better it's been middling for overwatch uh they're they're definitely closer than they've been in the past, but they're not quite there yet. I actually, I looked to uh, E-League, Turner's E-League did a broadcast season of Counter-Strike Global Offensive, and that was probably the closest I've seen to a tactical team-based shooter game being presented in a way that a bystander could understand. And there were still some things that were a little difficult, some concepts that are a little harder to see for someone who hasn't played the game. But there are still things in Overwatch that are just missing, and some of it is not having the right camera angles to display all the info that's going on. Yeah. Sometimes it's just there's literally too much happening on the screen at one time for anyone to process unless they're just honed in and seeing things that nobody else can see. Like, <laughs> the Rain Man of Overwatch is seeing what's going on there, but nobody else is. So... Mm -hmm. I think they they need to just kind of keep cracking at it. I, I thought it was interesting. They had the Overwatch Contender stream a week or so ago, and a lot of people had a lot of complaints about the the actual like professional broadcast that Blizzard was putting on for contenders, but another player was streaming his perspective of the matches, so it was only playing out from his viewpoint, and he was getting better viewer numbers than Blizzard was purely because it was more interesting for people to watch a tournament play out from a single player's perspective than it was to try and watch all the action happening like it would in a traditional esports broadcast. Hmm. So do you think the future would be letting spectators select a certain player that they want to watch maybe and, and just having the coverage and the commentary be generic enough that it would work for every feed it's it's an option that like people have tried out before in dota you can watch tournament games through the client and actually center mm -hmm. your camera and perspective and even mouse movements on individual players during live matches which is a really useful tool but i think just experimenting with things trying out new things and continuing to find ways to portray the info that is happening on screen that's going to be how they're going to forge ahead what is your sense? I've seen kind of various reports on whether Blizzard and Riot would allow some sort of IP sharing um, mm. arrangement to go into uh, their franchising deal. Do you have any sense of, of 
if that's in fact the case. I haven't looked too much into that. I haven't really heard much about anything in that, so I can't really like comment mm. on anything other than that sounds interesting, but I don't really know what it would entail as far as the franchising goes. Mm-hmm. And how do you expect it all to play out? It, I mean, it, there are so many unknowns still, and yeah. at least in Overwatch's case, it's such a fledgling structure, but what do you think the timeline will be on which these leagues will get established and how long it will take them to have the kind of continuity that we've seen in traditional sports? I think uh, with with Riot, they're taking kind of the baby step by only having it be the North American league that's that's franchising, and I, I believe mm-hmm. the Chinese one is as well. But uh, there's there's kind of some weird issues there with how that's playing out. So they're they're kind of testing the waters, and I, I don't know if they'll ever implement it globally or not. But I definitely see if any if either of them is going to figure it out, it's going to be Riot because they've just been doing this for so long they've been managing yeah. tournaments for so long and, and you know, blizzard has been making competitive games for a long time and they're definitely the grandpapa of esports with starcraft and warcraft and all that but they haven't really been managing tournaments in the same way so it, it's a little bit harder to have the same amount of confidence that i would have in someone like riot mm-hmm. What do you think Rocket League's ceiling <laughs> as an eSport <Yeah>. is? <laughs> there is no ceiling. That's That game is <laughs> That's so good. what I wanted good. to hear. <laughs> oh, no, I, I love Rocket League because it's one of the... We talk a lot about it, even between people that, you know, I, I just know through real life and stuff like that, you know, non-eSports <laughs> people. And... It's so easy to show someone a clip of Rocket League and they go, oh, that's cool. You know, right, you show yeah. them a League of Legends highlight and there's a lot of explaining you have to do and you have to sit them down and you have to prep them and be like, okay, you're going to be watching here and then here and then this <laughs> happens and then this happens. With Rocket League, it's just a car with a rocket strapped to its <laughs> back flying towards a soccer goal. It's like that is instantly recognizable as awesome. So mm-hmm. I, I really, really like Rocket League and I it just has all the things going for it that you would want for this sort of game. It's it's playable on almost every console nowadays. They just announced the Switch version of it. It has cross-play on almost everything. It's so easy to get into, and there's no real systems or structures around it. You're just mm. driving a car and hitting a soccer ball, which actually opens it up to a lot of player finesse and player movements to happen. And, and watching these teams set up the kind of moves that you would normally see from like a professional football club, but Mm -hmm. on a pitch with rocket cars is really (laughs) awesome to see. Yes, I agree. How far away? This is like a totally, this is a question that's like very amorphous, but what, (laughs) how long, how far away do you think esports are, whether it be league, whoever, whichever game is the game that spearheads esports into like the wider consciousness, how far away do you think that is from happening? 10 years, five years. I, it's really hard to even say like what would spearhead it into the wider yeah. consciousness. Cause I think on some level we, you know, it's easy to rationalize this in the sense of what is going to be the football of esports, right. what is going to be the basketball of esports. And in some ways that works, but in other ways it's right. The nature of esports is so different. League is a complicated game to understand, but once you understand it, it's a really compelling esport to watch. On the flip side, Street Fighter is really cool, but then you realize that Street Fighter isn't just Street Fighter, it's the FGC. It's all these different fighting games that kind of coalesce under one umbrella, and Street Fighter's just the largest one under that umbrella at the current time. So 
as far as what spearheads that movement, I think it's just whatever game manages to be the clearest for spectators to understand while still being engaging enough to want to watch it over and over and over again. The hardest part about an esport game is, is having that depth that you can have games that don't feel the same as the one you just watched. And even from patch to patch, some esports have already had that issue where it just gets really stale. All the matches have the same characters in it or the same strategies in it. So right. it get it gets really boring to watch. And so I think whatever game figures that out and figures out how to make it compelling to watch every game while still being completely comprehensible, that's going to be the one that tons of people are going to get behind. And whether that's, you know, whether that's League or Dota or Overwatch or ARMS, I don't know. ARMS could do it. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and Compete just did a video on the University of Utah's varsity esports program, and obviously esports is spreading rapidly at the college level too. Can you give people a summary of where college esports stand and what the next step is? Yeah, a lot of college esports are are basically student-run clubs. Like the one at Utah is is Crimson Gaming, which was a student club that is now funded and operates under their, I, I believe it's their electrical and engineering school, the EAE there. Mm. And so they don't operate under the athletics program, which is kind of the weird thing. And a lot of schools, barring a few like Robert Morris, I believe, don't operate under the athletics division, but operate under the game design school or the engineering school or something like that. And there are tons of college tournaments that happen. Riot sponsors the ULOL series and has a couple of college show matches as well. There's others like TESPA for Blizzard that run their own college tournament series. But a lot of it is still very student-based and they're there's always a little bit of trepidation as far as universities wanting to buy into the idea of having an esports team. And a lot of that is just the universities being like, okay, what is this thing? What crazy thing are you trying to get us to invest millions of dollars in? I don't understand this. And it's a lot of work there, but a lot of clubs are at least like making the the effort to try and make this happen. There's a lot of professors and, and directors out there who are trying to be the go-between that makes that sensible. With the broadcast language of esports really kind of like evolving on the fly, have you seen anything that uh, at least you believe that develop like on the developer level, they're kind of catering their graphical and art styles to <laughs> to be clearer when displayed as an esport? Yeah, I every game that comes out, and again talking about E3 and uh, people marketing their games as esports. Every game that comes out with competitive aspirations nowadays has the sort of overlay and the character art that has the health bars and the ultimate, you know, markers and things like that over their their stuff to basically say, this is our, you know, this can be broadcast. You could totally broadcast this if you wanted to compete in it. So they definitely tend to cater towards the visibly recognizable. And some games do this better than others. You know, Overwatch, I think, as much as I said, you know, it is kind of a clustered cluster bomb to watch it, it does a better job of that than something like uh battleborn did or or even sometimes league can get hard to discern if you're not if you don't know what you're looking for whereas something like street fighter or rocket league you're going to see what's on screen and understand what's happening immediately but i i think any game with competitive aspirations nowadays has to cater in some way to the spectator experience and put things on screen that aren't flashy and 
over the top and something that you can see and be like, okay, that guy just threw a fireball. And, and I understand yeah. what that is and what that does. Mm -hmm. So lastly, I wanted to ask you about the VR Challenger League, which was just announced recently. It's a VR esports venture from Oculus, Intel, and the ESL. And some venture capital firm has probably just invested millions mm -hmm. of dollars in me just for saying that sentence. I said <laughs> esports and VR in the same sentence. People are throwing money at me. So what's the future here? Is this a way to cash in on all the hype around VR and esports? Is it a serious thing? Do you think VR lends itself well to this kind of competition? It really reads like some guy was sitting at a, at a desk and was like, hmm, VR, esports, put them <laughs> together. That'll work. Like right. it's, I, I wrote an article for Vice's Waypoint back before I started working with Kotaku and Deadspin and Compete that was about Street Fighter and why Street Fighter continues to succeed despite the issues that pros have with the game itself. And one of the things I kept hearing from players was that they got into Street Fighter because they that was the thing they could play. They go to the arcade or the laundromat and there's a Street Fighter 2 machine in there and they can put down a quarter. They can't always afford to buy a gaming PC and play those games, but they can afford to put down a couple quarters in Street Fighter. And that's how they got good at Street Fighter. And to that extent... VR is so expensive to get into yeah. and, and so mm -hmm. many of these multiplayer games already have issues with having a population in the first place to have multiplayer matches. Uh, I, I had a five for a while that I was reviewing for a site and when I was playing some of the games that were on there, I couldn't find multiplayer matches. And this was like launch week of the Vive. And mm. a lot of multiplayer games just didn't have enough people in the game to find a match. And so you try to extrapolate that out and say, okay, now we're going to make an eSport out of it. I don't know where you're going to find the players for it. Yeah. And it, it, it's a novel idea, but I think if that's something you want to do, that's something you got to start out small and grow. And it's not something that you can just throw money at and say like, this will work because it's VR and eSports together. And how could that possibly fail? Well, you're, you're going to find out. Right. Yeah. And you wonder about the mechanical issues and obstacles mm -hmm. that would have to be cleared just because, I mean, aside from the nausea that some people might feel, just the movement is often a problem in these games. There has to be some kind of teleportation trick and mm -hmm. it would be hard to port, I would think, some of the games that have become big esports and, and have them work as well in VR, at least the way that VR works currently. All the ones I've seen so far have either been like copies of Tron, basically the the disc game from <laughs> Tron, yeah. or uh, if you've if you've ever read or seen Ender's Game, that battle mm -hmm. arena they have where they float around in zero G. There's like five different right. versions of that. <laughs> uh -huh. All right. Well, you can read Eric Van Allen regularly at Compete. You can find him on Twitter at CMoosey. Am I getting that right? Yeah, CMoosey. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Eric. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back to talk about Sail Away, the amazing sailing sim. Dollar Shave Club is the smarter choice. Get a great shave at a great price, conveniently delivered right to your door. It's an awesome life hack and a no-brainer choice. You no longer have to schlep to the store to buy a cheap disposable razor that gives you a cheap shave or spend a fortune on razors with gimmicky shaving tech you don't need. And when you use your Dollar Shave Club executive razor with their Dr. Carver Shave Butter, the blade just gently glides, giving you such a smooth shave. The razor doesn't clip through your character model, does zero damage to your health bar, and Dr. Carver Shave Butter is transparent for a more precise shave, which helps prevent 
prevent ingrown hairs and fights razor bumps, so you too can and should make the smarter choice by joining Dollar Shave Club. For a limited time, new members get their first month of the Executive Razor with a tube of their Dr. Carver Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. In your first month's loot box, you get a weighty handle, a full cassette of four cartridges, and a tube of their Shave Butter. After your first month, replacement cartridges ship automatically at their regular price. There are no hidden fees and no commitments. You can cancel anytime you like, and you can only get this offer at dollarshaveclub.com slash achievement. Again, that's dollarshaveclub.com slash achievement. Now let's get back to games. Okay, so I have tried real-life sailing one time, and I capsized almost instantly, which is <laughs> why I never tried it a second time and why I spend, or one of the many reasons why I spend much of my time inside playing video games. But lately, I've been very intrigued by a game that promises to give me the real-life sailing experience without the risk of capsizing. It's a game that models the entire Earth, essentially, or the Earth's oceans, at least. It lets you sail two-scale oceans and maps real-time Earth weather onto the game world, and it's a, a realistic sailing simulation, and it's called Sail Away. It's on Steam Early Access, available now, and we are talking to the sole developer of Sail Away, Richard Knoll. Hi, Richard. Hi. Hi. This is your first game, right? Did you consider starting with a game that was less than the size of the Earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was never planned this way. It was just, it kind of started as a hobby, trying to uh, create a, a, a sailing boat that uh, responds just like a real boat does. So, um, and then once I got that started, I thought, oh, well, now my boat needs an ocean. How big shall I make it? Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's make it the size of the entire Earth. <laughs> See, I feel like that's where someone else might have made a different decision. <laughs> often in games, you know, even if it's like supposed to be based on a real world location or it's supposed to mirror some city, it's not actually to scale and it's sort of a representation, but it won't actually take you hours to cross the map. And yet your maps will take you about as long to cross as the actual globe. So... What were the challenges in building that size world? Like, was it the same difficulty because the ocean often looks the same no matter where you are in it, as long as you can't see the land? Or does it no, become progressively really. harder? No, no. First of all, the ocean doesn't look the same everywhere you are. Okay. Because the, the color of the water changes, the amount True. of algae in it or mud or uh, the light reflecting in a different angle. Mm -hmm. The depth of the water makes a, makes a change, and, and there's also there are different types of waves: longer waves, shorter waves, higher, steeper. So uh, the ocean is not everywhere the same. So that that alone was already quite a challenge. And uh, but but probably the most uh, the biggest challenge was creating the land. <laughs> and so that's maybe a little bit weird for a sailing game where you think you have to make a boat and an ocean. But uh, the land was a lot, of, a lot harder because, yeah, for one thing, you need a height map of the entire Earth 
and you can't just download that or use Google Google Earth, for instance, because you need so many uh, requests from Google Earth that it would be uh, very very pricey. Yeah. So so yeah, I had to uh, make my own Google Earth basically. And that was probably more work than creating the same game itself. One of the features that I really find fascinating about your game is that it takes real-time weather information, real-time tide information, real-time current information. Not, not tides that? yet. It, it will have tides, but not, right now it doesn't have tides. Oh, just just weather at this point. And yeah. so, how, so how does that work? How do you scrape that information from? Where do you get that? And how do you plug that into the game in, in real-time? Well, uh, the United States has a fantastic uh, organizations, uh, organization. For now. Also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all right. For now, right? Now, now I think it will, it will last a little bit longer. But uh, it's called NOOA, and uh, they provide weather information for the entire Earth, and, and you can just download it. It's all publicly available, and uh, so that's what I do. My, my servers download this weather, and then extrapolated for the entire uh, globe Incredible. and interpolated it for... And what is what is the experience of sailing in Sail Away into a storm like? Yeah, that's, well, it's it's heavy. <laughs> it, it's a serious storm. You, you can get waves up to 20 meters. Wow. And uh, it, it really, uh, it will really feel like a storm. You just don't get wet, but uh, yeah. So is this a shared world or are there instances? I mean, is it no, one, no, no. one globe? One, one world, one MMO. So everybody uh, wow. will see everybody. Wow. And so is the weather active everywhere all the time or is it only taking up resources when a boat is in that part of the map? Or, or how do you try to conserve resources while hosting a, a world-sized world? Yeah, well, you always have... Uh... The horizon, of course. First of all, the, the Earth is round, so you can't look over the edge. So the game only has to render a certain part of the world and only has to compute the weather for a certain part of the world, etc. But uh, yeah, it, it just works with tiles, really. And uh, as you sail, sail along, you load different tiles of the world. But you always see everyone uh, on your map or you have everyone in chat and well chat is more like a VHF radio but yeah yeah so how often are there unplanned encounters just i mean it's a gigantic world do you see players talking about how they sighted another boat without having meant to rendezvous or is that extremely rare uh, that is extremely rare because the world is an immense place and yeah. even in the real world where there are more, much more boats, of many more boats, uh, you can, it can take weeks or months before you encounter someone. It depends on where you are. But, uh, people look up, look each other up, so they can invite each other. They can sail together. There are races. There are events. And, wow. Uh, there's, there's a, a big community. Mm-hmm. One thing I, uh, that I really love about your game is how your, your boat stays persistent even when the player is not playing. You can set a course. Have it go and yeah, well, step away. I, for... did, I didn't want to be responsible for people not sleeping for seven months. <laughs> so, uh, do you get? Is there like a, a warning, a notification system? Like your boat is in a storm right now. <laughs> like, is there any? Yeah, it, it, it's very simple. You just you receive an email. You can set the frequency of your emails, 
and you receive an email when something changes or there's a storm coming or uh, the wind has turned or yeah wow so you can teleport anywhere at, at any time you can just drop yourself down in any location yeah oh, uh-huh. yeah you can drop yourself down somewhere and set out a, a course and uh, set up uh, waypoints and uh, then your boat starts sailing or mm-hmm. you sail yourself it depends on what you want do you now or will you support rivers like for instance could i yeah many people have have asked that but but the world really really is a big place the current uh, <laughs> yes i, I know <laughs> yeah the current map has a, a resolution which which well, quite honestly sucks it's uh, about 10 meters uh, tiles of, of 10 meters so every pixel in the height map is 10 by 10 meters uh, at the best and and even now, it's already 1.5 terabytes in data. Wow. Yeah. If I would let people sail up a river, just imagine the amount of data that I would need. What's What's been the, the biggest challenge to creating this project? Yeah, well, this, this, this Earth. Uh, so I had to uh, download uh, NASA uh, uh, satellite uh, information because they have had a mission once where they uh, measured the uh, the height of the Earth. But first of all, that uh, has some, some measurement errors and it has no information beyond, uh, below sea level. So then you have to collect all kinds of other data to make sure the coastline matches. And uh, for instance, I live in a country that's for the most part is uh, under sea level. So it wouldn't even exist if I would just use the uh, NASA data. So it was a lot of work processing all that. And well, yeah. I, I ran this on my, on my laptop and it was running a lot of processes at the same time. It, it has been running for weeks in, in a row and I had two extra ventilators <laughs> pointed at it to keep it from overheating. <laughs> it's <just> crazy. <laughs> Global warming is going to be a real <laughs> resource warming. hog for you because yeah. the more the ice caps melt, the more water you're going to have to render. Exactly. <laughs> That's probably the least of the problems, but yeah. that's your your personal problem. <laughs> but, um, so um, I assume that you are a real-life sailing enthusiast in, in the Netherlands where you live. And so what is it that appeals to you about the act of sailing and what was the essence of that that you wanted to represent virtually? How did you know that you had nailed your depiction of sailing? In what way did it feel or not feel like the real thing? Yeah, first of all, I am a real-life sailing enthusiast, but I don't have a boat. So uh-huh. oh, oh. that's where I thought, okay, well, if I don't have a boat, then I'll build one. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how, how this all started. And uh, so, yeah, the best thing you can do is, is look at what you would want if you make a game. Mm. And and there are sailing games, and most of them uh, let you, uh, let you uh, steer or they let, they let you control the sails. But that's it. And... I wanted it to be real. I wanted it to, to uh, that you you have to be able to change the shape of your sail, the trim the sails of that, and make sure it sails in optimal speed for every wind. And that's a lot of work, and it's quite difficult to do. Even real life sailors, a lot of them don't even know how to trim their sails properly. 
they just pull the, the ropes, the lines as fast as they as tight as they can when the wind starts blowing harder. But that isn't always the best solution. So mm-hmm. in this game, you can learn and you can you can experiment and make sure you, you go faster and and also become a better sailor in the real world. And the only way to do that is to make it just exactly like it should be. What's been some of the feedback from the the real world sailing community on your game? Well, most of them love it, and um, it looks it looks very soothing. It is. It is. It's uh, someone uh, uh, compared it to uh, Tamiyachi. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it is soothing, and and it's not a game where you can have enemies shooting at you, or you have to jump through burning hoops, or it's just. You sail, and but but for non-sailors, it can be a little bit difficult, and and I've had some complaints about that. Uh, so what we did was uh, create this this mode where you just have to steer, and a mode where you just do one thing more, and then another one where you do one thing more again. But for some weird reason, everybody who comes into the game just immediately sets it to expert mode. <laughs> and then starts putting all the lines and yes. don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is what happened to me in real life. I can <laughs> testify yeah. that it is uh, somewhat discouraging when that yes, happens. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then you, you you point your boat directly towards the wind, and and you wonder why why it is moving. And yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> is is there anyone? doing anything in the game that surprised you or that you didn't anticipate or that impressed you like some yeah, some vast absolutely. journey or, or something like that absolutely there are people trying to circumnavigate the globe and uh-huh. there's, there's a, a french initiative to sail a real life race called fastnet race it goes from france to uh, ireland and back to france um in the real world but they made a virtual copy of that and, and just without our knowledge set up this race and started uh, inviting people in and made a website for it. It's just, it's crazy what's happening. And if I then, if I log into the game and there's just, I love watching the world chat going on because then there are people explaining each other how they uh, should sail and, oh, what what does this line do? And then somebody else jumps in and he explains. It's a really nice community. There's nobody, yeah. Do you have a way to see where everyone is at all times? Like, could you, you know, open up a globe or something and, and see dots indicating where all the players are or something like yeah. that? Because I, yeah, I yeah, would yeah. just stare at that all day, probably, if <laughs> yeah, I had access yeah. to that. Yeah, for, that's also funny because uh, there is a map and, and uh, you can zoom out from world level onto uh, yeah very local level with all the boys and, and uh, lighthouses and things like that. And you can see the other boats on it. And the curious thing is that, like, for instance, when somebody lives in Germany, most of them will sail that little part of sea that Germany is uh, connected to. And uh-huh. if somebody lives in the Netherlands, then they will sail the North Sea. And someone who lives in uh, the USA will sail the West Coast or East Coast. But the weird thing is they have the entire globe at their disposal. And then <laughs> right. they, they still sail <laughs> 50 miles from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
because yeah. our, our imaginations are limited. But, yeah. <laughs> um, so Jason and I were talking on our last episode about the upcoming rare game, Sea of Thieves, and how great the water looks. And of course, that's not a game that's trying to model the entire ocean. So, you know, I'm sure there are more resources that can be devoted to something like water physics and making the water look good. But what are the challenges when it comes to that, making realistic waves and wakes and weather? And, and how have you even found out how to do that? Because I assume that you're learning as you go to a certain extent. Yeah. Yeah, I'm learning as I go. But it, it, yeah, well, it's hard because, first of all, you need to uh, render all those waves um, in such a way that, that the game still performs. And right. So it all has to be done inside the graphics card. But if you do it inside the graphics card, your boat doesn't really know what's going on. It's basically just an image going up and down. So, mm -hmm. so you still have to do the same computing for your boat in some way. And then I have to sync the waves because if, if you are in a race and you're next to another boat and you both go equally fast in the same direction, but there are waves coming from behind you and there's one wave lifting you up at the, at the back, then it will sail faster because you're going down a wave. But if the other boat next to you will also need to have a wave behind him and go faster because otherwise it will look weird. You go back and forth all the time. So right. the waves are all synced and that's uh, quite a challenge. But, but yeah. yeah, it works. What, what kind of... Um development background, computer background did you have before this? And how, how long has this project been gestating? Yeah, well, I've, I've uh, well, you, you said this is my first game. It is my first real game, but I did uh, do a lot of Unity development before this and made some uh, Unity assets for uh, packages that other users can or other developers can buy. And so it's, it's not really the first thing I did. But, um, yeah, before this, I was I, I made business software, but then uh, I got bored with that and thought, well, let's let's start making games. It's a yeah. lot more fun, I can tell you. I saw a, a Gama Sutra interview with you where you said that you worked on software for golf courses. What, yes, what was yeah, that? Completely, completely different. Yeah, well, people want to make reservations, uh -huh. time reservations for the golf course, and. Uh, and I don't know, drink a cup of coffee or a beer, uh -huh. and that, that has to be registered somewhere. So that's what that was what my software did, and uh, I started a, a service that people could uh, make reservations over the internet, and that went mm -hmm. quite well. And yeah, yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's not not something I really fancy doing. But <laughs> so that's why I stopped. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that the ocean does look different depending on where you are. And is that something that you are getting from the weather data or is that something that you're getting from Google Earth? Or are you just having to figure out what the water would look like in each area of the, the world? How do you do that? A little bit of all of those. Yeah, well, not Google Earth, but a little bit of all because... Um... You have to figure out what the, what the waves would look like, depending on uh, how deep the water is and um, yeah, and, and, and what color the water probably has. So if uh -huh. you're near, if you're near uh, a, a river, a river, what do you call it, a delta, then the water will probably be a little brownish 
because there's mud coming with the with the river, and and there are maps where all the algaes are, and there are, uh, there's information about uh, ocean currents and things like that are uh, are implemented, and then I figure out what the waves probably would look like. Of course, mm -hmm. it may look quite scary in the game, but I'm probably uh, everybody would wet their pants if they would really be in. An, a storm with those 20 meter waves and they all probably look <laughs> quite quite more terrifying than what I can produce inside a right. screen. Yeah. So you decided or, or have decided up to this point not to model damage in the game, right? So you, you nah. nothing bad can happen to your boat. Why did you decide to, to do that as opposed to having the risk of sinking or, or having something bad happen to you? Yeah, well, you can run aground. And, mm -hmm. uh, but then you can just click a button and help me please and it will put you somewhere uh, where the water is deep enough again but yeah this is, a, this is a simulator about sailing I didn't want it to be bumper cars or uh, yeah uh -huh. yeah it, it's a little bit more serious than uh, bumping into each other and of course there, there will not be uh, any any damage but there will be collisions of course between boats especially for races but that's probably as far as it will go you there won't be any torn up sails or scratches on your boats <laughs> so you're in early access right now which is a kind of funding model that steam uses so that developers can create their game on the fly by allowing people to pay for access to the game before it's essentially finished so how, how long how much longer do you do you foresee being in early access how, how far away do you feel you are from from completing the game uh, a few months not much what's mm -hmm. what's left what what are the tweaks that that you've found through this process yeah well i have to be a little bit careful because sure, sure. some of these things are uh, not uh, publicly of course. Uh, not uh, but there need to be a few more boats there need to be a few more tutorials to help people uh, trim their sales for instance and um we are also looking into user uh, user uh, organized races and, and events and things like that still need to uh, need to be added and hopefully also uh, uh, tidal currents and mm -hmm. we're looking into uh, or uh, tidal water levels I should say and we're looking into uh, how we could establish uh, tidal currents because that's a little bit more difficult because current will go everywhere <laughs> it's, it's not a not, not, not a linear thing yeah and have you heard from other developers or other companies that are curious about how you did what you did? Like, are you are you innovating in some way that maybe a, even a bigger company would come along and say, hey, how did you just model the entire world at one time? Is this something that we could, you know, can we use your technology or license it or something? They haven't yet. No, they haven't yet. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's just, uh, well, it, and it's not just me. I'm, I work together with a, a publishing company and they really helped me a lot. It's uh, uh, the Irregular Corporation in London. There are a few guys that uh, helped me a lot with uh, not only not only the sales, but also think with me, design with me, and think about how people can get achievements. And if I have questions, they have always someone who can either help me or have some ideas, or I can spar with them. So it's it's not 
an entirely one-man show here, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah. And can you outsource, or have you outsourced any of the development, or is it entirely one hundred percent you? No, not I have not uh, outsourced the development, but uh, there are uh, there is someone who made uh, all the boats, the models for the boats, and three D uh-huh. modeling is is outsourced. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can we get a console port, please? Please! <laughs> <laughs> Is that possible down the line someday? Uh, nah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> it would be great on Switch with the with the motion controls. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I don't know. It, we haven't decided about that yet. Uh, mm-hmm. It depends on, on how many people are interested in it, I guess. That's the main. That's the main thing. Well, I just, well, I, just I just bought it on Steam. So, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This well, this is fascinating. I I wonder whether people will learn to like sailing and become real life sailors because of this game. I'm sure it's mostly people who already sail exploring this, but I would think that if enough people play it, there will be people who get hooked on the game and then actually decide to try it out. And hopefully it will go better for them than it did for me. Yeah, I think so too. And, and maybe also people who already sail or have a sailboat, uh, they can, uh, and, and they want to make, let's, let's say, uh, uh, cross towards uh, uh, Bermuda. Then yeah. that, that's a big, that's a big journey, and it's quite dangerous also if you don't know what you're doing. So maybe they can practice beforehand and experiment yeah. a little and dream about it, and maybe one day they will make that journey. Yeah, that's that's interesting. All right, well. You can find more info about Sail Away on Twitter at Sail Away World. You can find it on Steam on sale right now in early access. It's called Sail Away, the sailing simulator. And we've been talking to its developer, Richard Knoll. Thank you very much, Richard. Thanks. Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It was fun. All right. So I think we finally found a game that's too big, even for our former guest. How big is the map? We know exactly how big it is, and it's probably too big to sail across in your spare time. So that will do it for today. I just looked at the release calendar for the next month or so, yep. and it's not busy. It's a no, little it's bit not barren. Busy. Which, not uh, that busy. We've got arms out today, and then there aren't a whole lot of games that I'm eagerly anticipating coming out soon. So I guess this is a chance to go back and catch up on some of the games we weren't able to finish during the rush of a few months ago. I definitely have a few piled up. So we will have a chance to get into a a lot of different topics that aren't necessarily tied to new releases over the next few weeks. But we will talk to you all next week. See you, Jason. See ya. For a great shave at a great price, join Dollar Shave Club. New members get their first month of the Executive Razor and a tube of Dr. Carver's Shave Butter for only $5 with free shipping. After that, razors are just a few bucks a month. That's a $15 value for only 5 bucks. So get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash achievement.